You're listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net. And thanks for joining us. Mary is one of those people that just has fascinated me forever. Just the wonder of her wonder. So let me introduce you to to Mary. There she is. Mary lives in Kansas City, Missouri. Mary is not yet a teen, but very like the biblical Mary. This is a piece of her life. (laughs) This is a piece of her life. It's what you do. And when you're done doing that, you help dad out. This is Mary. She lives in Hermiston, Oregon. She's a teenager. And you can see the life in her lies. So many different things that she enjoys doing. The artistic side of her life just seems to know no end. Delights in all kinds of artistic things, music. She loves to paint her face in all kinds of gory things. It's just astounding. Just because there's such a wonder in what she does in Mary's life. This is Mary. This is the woman that Gabriel comes to. Just another teenage girl whose life is full of wonder and openness and possibility and of the power of God. This story is so familiar, I'm going to read it from a different translation. During the six months of Israel's pregnancy, the angel Gabriel was sent from God's presence to an unmarried girl named Mary. Living in Nazareth, a village in Galilee, she was engaged to a man named Joseph, a true descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Grace to you, young woman, for the Lord is with you, and you are anointed with his great favor. Mary was deeply troubled over the words of the angel and bewildered over what this might mean for her. But the angel reassured her, saying, Do not yield to your fear, Mary, for the Lord has found delight in you and has chosen to surprise you with a wonderful gift. You will become pregnant with a baby boy, and you are to name him Jesus. He will be supreme and be known as the Son of the Highest, And the Lord God will enthrone him as king on his ancestor David's throne. He will reign as king of Israel forever, and his reign will have no limit. Mary said, how could this happen? I'm still a virgin. Gabriel answered, the Holy Spirit will fall upon you, and Almighty God will spread his shadow of power over you in a cloud of glory. That is why the child born to you will be holy and he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your aged Aunt Elizabeth has also become pregnant with a son, the barren one, 
is now in her sixth month. Not one promise from God is empty of power, for nothing is impossible with God. Then Mary responded, this is amazing. I will be the mother for the Lord. As his servant, I accept whatever he has for me. May everything you told me come to pass. And the angel left her. We look here, first of all, at Mary's response to Gabriel's proclamation of God's grace, God's presence with her, but in a surprising new way. And I look at how she responds to this. When the angel comes, the angel said, greetings, you're highly favored. Mary is greatly troubled. When angels show up, you never know what's going to happen. What kind of greeting is this? Why am I so favored? You can imagine all the things going on in her mind. Deeply troubled. I like the phrase bewildered. What is going on here? I'm just a young woman from a little town up in northern Galilee called Nazareth. Do not be afraid. Really? See, I think a better way to say this, to get the flavor of it, of course she's afraid. Don't yield to your fear. See, when we often hear, don't be afraid, we think there should be no fear. There's always a fear of the unknown. There's always a what's going to happen. But the thing it is, you don't yield to that fear. You don't let it control you and keep you from God's blessing that he wants for you to step out on. Don't yield to your fear, the angel says. Mary, really obvious question. Like, I know where babies come from. I ain't ready. We got a problem. And her question, how can she, a virgin, be mother of Messiah? It's not a question of unbelief. It's a question of, I don't know how to obey this. I don't know how to do this. What? What can we do to make this work? The angel's response is not really very helpful, frankly. (laughs) It doesn't explain a thing. And I find that's pretty common with God's stuff. The Holy Spirit will come upon Mary. What does that mean? But the thing that it says, the thing that it says when the Holy Spirit comes upon this young girl, it means that it will enable her to do what she by herself could never do. It will enable her to do what she could never do with a husband. Because the Holy Spirit will take all that's in her and make it so much better. The other phrase there is the mighty one, the most high. It's a phrase that describes Yahweh frequently in the Old Testament when it's talking about his sovereign power. The Most High will surround you completely, but that power could be a destructive power, Babylon coming up into Jerusalem, or can be an incredibly creative power. 
as it was with Hannah, her ancestor who was also without children. Her response. I frequently say I've got 74 life verses. Somebody told me just after one, I was unable to get down to even a reasonable number. This is one of my life verses. I am the Lord's servant. May your word be fulfilled. May it be to me according to your word. Another way to say it, as his servant, I accept whatever he has for me. Let it be to me according to your word. That's a, such a... Is that your response? When God calls, I am your servant, whatever. Let it be to me according to your word. All she knows is a baby's coming. And I'm sure she's a smart enough girl to figure out that that's not going to go well with the family. It's not going to go well in town. And what is she going to say to Joseph? All those things occur to her, but let it be. And the picture that reminds me as I look at this first song of Mary is where God focuses himself. Back in Jerusalem, you've got Herod the Great, one of the most powerful, creative kings that ever ruled in the Middle East. He's building one of the seven wonders of the world. You've got a high priest. You've got all kinds of powerful people. And God focuses on two obscure women. One, old and barren. One, young and virginal. This is the character of a God. You don't have to do something to get his attention. You have to be receptive. Or you can get his attention if you're rich and powerful, but it's not attention you want, as we'll see. And the question I find myself thinking as an old man with a, a lot of influence, who am I like? Am I like Herod or the high priest? Or am I like Mary? I want to think of like Mary. You can ask Sherry, she'll be here second service. A second song. She goes to visit Elizabeth. Jay preached that sermon last week. It was incredible. And Mary is there with Elizabeth, and Elizabeth blesses her. And she sings what we all call the Magnificat now. Again, in different words. And Mary sang this song, my soul is ecstatic, overflowing with praises to God. My spirit bursts forth with joy over my life-giving God. For he has set his tender gaze upon me, his lowly servant girl. And from here on, everyone will know that I have been favored and blessed. The mighty one has worked a mighty miracle for me. Holy is his name. Mercy kisses all his godly lovers from one generation to the next. Mighty power flows from him to scatter all those who walk in pride. Powerful princes, he tears down from their thrones and lifts up the lowly ones to take their place. Those who hunger for him 
will always be filled. But the smug and self-satisfied, he sends away empty because he can never forget to show his mercy and he has helped his chosen servant Israel, keeping his promises to Abraham and to his descendants forever. The Magnificat. Again, we think about this as Mary magnifies the Lord who has magnified her a nobody, who's caught the attention of the mighty one, the creator of heaven and earth. And the song in its poetic, my soul glorifies the Lord, my spirit rejoices in God in my favor. We know the song so well. But I think about it, it's where she's singing from. She's singing prophetically. She is proclaiming the very word of God, but she's doing it out of a, I like the phrase, a cheerful humility. A cheerful, humble spirit. Rejoicing. And the other thing that strikes me, if you did a bit of, I was tempted to put a little geek out on this for sure, I decided not to. Because when you start looking at all the prophetic allusions here, you see that she has a profound knowledge of Scripture. A girl who's spent many, 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 many days pondering the depths of the Scriptures of Israel, and it all flows out in Magnificat. Cheerful humility, deep knowledge, I mean, that's a pattern for us. That's a pattern for us. Cheerful humility, profound knowledge of Scripture, is that your goal? The thing I have to work on is cheerful because I have a rather melancholy spirit and I spend time doing a lot of hard stuff. I have to remind myself to be cheerful. What word did you put there? What with gratitude and hope? I think her first response, of course, was anxious. What does this mean? Troubled, bewildered, but she doesn't stay there. And I thought, well, maybe submissive, submitting. But as I read the, story, read the song, she sang, that's true, but there's a better word, and I think the, the ecstatic. Tammy got it really well in her monologue, just the incredible wonder. It's me. I get to do this ecstatic. Oh yeah, the anxiety. Oh yeah, the oh my. With wonder and hope. And again, what a model for me. When God calls me to do something and I say, oh my gosh, I don't think I can do that. How can this be? It's important that she recognizes the blessing. One of my life verses is Moses when he sees the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3. And when he sees this burning bush that doesn't burn up, it says, I must turn aside and see this wondrous thing. And God says, because you have turned, we need to recognize the blessing of God. And in a very cynical world, in a very dark world, it's hard to miss that. But I only need to recognize that you need to receive it. 
One of the things I've been doing more lately in the pastor work that I do when I'm doing deep inside work with people is I ask them to say in their own words what it is that God says to them, what God wants to do. And then I ask them to, I receive whatever it is that God's giving. There's something in those words that is very, very powerful. And that's what she does. Be it unto me according to your word, as I receive this blessing. I look at the three words here for God. He is the mighty one. What's the second word? Second word is what? Holy. What's the third word to describe God? Merciful. Mm-hmm. And look at those and how she does it. First of all, God is mighty. I mean, that's not hard to figure out when you think about quaking mountains and creating the solar systems and the galaxies. But what does this mighty mean? The mighty means that he will bring down those who are mighty in their own eyes. When I watch what's happening around the world, and I'm a bit of a news junkie, though I'm fast-forwarding through a lot of news these days, i got to admit, because I see the arrogance that runs in so much of our world, and I think how God thinks about that. The mighty one tears down the mighty. So my response to much of this is I just refuse to give it my attention. What I want to give my attention to is what he exalts. And whom does he exalt? He exalts the humble. This is a studied choice of mine to give attention to the nobody. To give favor to the one that is easily forgotten because they seem to have no reason for attention. But see, God notices the unnoticed. He doesn't notice the arrogant and the mighty. He is holy. But what does holy mean? Well, that could be a scary thing because I'm not. At least not the level I want to be. But see, what happens is God's holiness in a humble heart, God's holiness purifies, cleanses, brings hope to the despairing. His holiness is that which changes us for the better if we receive that. And that's what happens so often is people say, ah, I'm good. And so a question I find myself asking from Mary's story is, am I willing to receive God's touch? It may be tough. Of course, the third word is merciful. And I like merciful, I like it a lot but I know who it's for. It's merciful to those who fear him. Mary's response when she's Gabriel is a fear. Mary's response when she hears what he's saying is a, a fear. And there's a fear that recognizes the greatness of the one in front of you. And it becomes a respectful, worshipful response. There's a fear that drives me and makes me want to run away from it. That's not a good fear. See, the good fear is the one that recognizes the incredible power in front of me and wonders what it means. That's a good fear. That's the reverential fear. 
The bad fear is when I run away because I'm afraid of what might happen. Those who fear him. Filling the hungry while sending the rich away empty. I'm rich. Maybe not by Portland standards, but by world standards, I'm incredibly rich. Look at my friend Mordecai and Nicole in East Congo. Ebola is running through a town beneath. Warlords are coming through and killing and stealing. They live in constant terror. Faithful, faithful husband and wife who are barren. They cannot have children. They have like 75 kids, but none of their own. God's mercy kisses people like Mordecai and Nicole. I want to do that as well. Mary's continuing song, it's not just the Christmas song of Mary that intrigues me. It's her continuing song. The shepherds come, the wise men come, and they see him. They spread the word concerning what they heard about the child. All heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said about them. But Mary treasured these words and pondered them in her heart. A little bit later, they go to Jerusalem to do the sacrifice. The child's father and mother marveled at the words of Simeon and Anna, the prophet and prophetess, or what they said about Jesus. Later on, they bring him to the temple, and he kind of gets lost (laughs) and kind of terrorizes everybody. And their response is, she treasured all these things in her heart. And there's a response that I want to do is not just the words of God, but the works of God. It's what I want to do is I want to treasure these things up and ponder them in our heart, but also a piece of it that's marveling. That's what's going on. But a lot of times without understanding. That pattern says a lot for me. Do I treasure what God is doing? It's pretty easy for me to treasure his Bible because that's, that's my life. I'm finding myself more drawn to treasuring the work that God is doing. I get to see a fair bit of that in my pastoral side of my life. And I marvel at the transformation God can bring in a, in a Mary's life. Time for purification. Joseph and Mary took Jerusalem to be present with the Lord to do the sacrifice that's there. Each year, Passover, both parents, Joseph and Mary, take Jesus to Jerusalem for the Passover. After the getting lost thing, they went to Nazareth and was obe- he was obedient to them. Jesus grew in wisdom and stature in the favor of God and man. And I look at those various places there in Luke chapter 2, and what I find myself thinking is this phrase, he, she raises him in the liturgy of the ordinary. What does that mean? It means she's preparing food. It means she's asking how his day went at the Torah school. It means that they're 
playing together. It means that they're cleaning the house together. It means they're just the, the liturgy of the ordinary is a worshipful kind of thing. But she also cares deeply about his faith, building him so he grows in the wisdom and stature. And Mary, through the liturgy of the ordinary, is doing much of that. I get bored with the liturgy of the ordinary. I call it dusty routine and things like that, don't you? But see, when you do it as a, unto the Lord, it becomes a, a, a worshipful liturgy of ordinary life because that's where God is at work, Mary shows us. We go on. We just see Mary show up a couple times in Jesus' life, and we don't see anything about her particularly except she wants to be with him. But at the end, Jesus in the garden all the disciples run away except John and Peter. And when it comes to the cross, Jesus being crucified and all the stuff that goes on there, John tells us that near the cross of Jesus stood his mother with her friends, sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, Mary Magdalene. Yeah, Mary's a very common name. And the women are there, and Jesus picks out his mother because of that unique relationship they had and picks out John and says, I can no longer be son for my mother and take care of her, so John, you take my place and take care of the mother. She follows him to the cross and there receives blessing of all the unlikely places in the midst of a horrific crime. Crucifixion, the Messiah of God, she receives his blessing because she follows him to the cross when a whole lot better people by earthly standards are running away. Am I like Mary? Will I go to the cross? which is a pretty dangerous place to be, frankly. You got a bunch of crazy soldiers there doing wild things. Will I go to the cross? But it isn't in there. Acts chapter 1, Jesus is resurrected. He's gone back to be exalted. He's in heaven. The disciples gather together there in that upper room. We don't know exactly which room. Maybe the one where they did the Passover together before he was crucified. Certainly the one where Jesus appeared to them. And they're gathered together in that upper room and they all join together constantly in prayer along with women and Luke singles out Mary. Why? Why does he single her out for special mention? I think because she was probably a woman of incredible prayer. But whatever, she's joining with everybody, joining the, she's joining the church. It's not her off by her, in her secret closet, though I'm sure she does that as well. She's joining with the church and leading and contributing to the life of the church in prayer, constantly. But it's not done yet. One more song of Mary, Acts chapter 2. The day of Pentecost, 10 days after Jesus exalted, they were 
all together again, as you'd expect on the Jewish festival. Now, it didn't mention Mary, but she has to be there. And we know the Pentecost story if you've been around a bit. Sound like a violent wind from heaven, the whole house there so it's shaken, tongues of fire coming to rest on them, all of them filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak each, to each other in languages as the Spirit enabled them. I want to get a Jay's drone and go look at that. What in the world is going on there? It's incredible power. And in the midst of that, the people around heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, just like Mary when, when the angel appeared to her, because each of them heard their own language being spoken. And here's the wonder. Aren't all these people Galileans? What does that mean? This is not the cosmopolitan center of Jerusalem. This is way up there in northern Galilee. They, they, they speak Aramaic. That's about it. But yet I'm hearing Phrygian and Arabic coming to these Arab, and they're, they're declaring the wonders of God in my language. Incredible power of God. Let's bring the glory of God to all nations. And this final song of Mary, she is filled with the Spirit in declaring the wonders of God, the glories of the Most High to the language of the world. Incredible story, incredible story, incredible story. I ran across a phrase that I was pondering this sermon this week and it struck me. God is not looking for believers. God is not looking for believers. He's not looking for believers. What he's looking for is followers. He's not looking for people playing head trips. He's not looking for people who be doing doctrinal purity only. Those are not unimportant. He's looking for people who will follow as Mary does in that pattern that's with us. Worship team, choir, come on up here as we finish up. As I look at this, thing of Jesus' followers, the first thing I notice is that Jesus be, or God became a human child so humans might become God's children. And this is an everybody kind of thing. This is an everybody kind of thing. There is no limit on which human child, no matter how powerful a Zacchaeus, no matter how forgotten a blind beggar Bartimaeus. Everyone in between. Everyone has the right to become child of God. God owes us what? What goes in the blank? Nothing. Nothing, absolutely. But we have trusted Christ owe him what? Everything. See, the thing of it is, is God's acceptance is without condition. But once we're part of God's family, he expects us to follow and be like him. Because you see, the, the attributes of God are not just for some to be understood and worshiped and talked about in theology classes and Bible studies. They are things to be experienced in the realness of life. So when we talk about mighty and holy and merciful, those are not just attributes of God, those are pieces of my life. 
and I live it out to myself and to others. Finally, joy and blessing come to those who, what word goes there? Trust. And sometimes that trust comes in the middle of a long night that God will do what he says. And I find myself thinking all the way through, Mary. This is from the nativity story. And because she was faithful and said, be it unto me according to your word, not just the words, but the reality, we have a savior born to us. So the question we're asking through this whole series in the midst of the birth of Messiah is, do you see what I see? There is a joy that comes in transformation. This is a Mary I wish I could introduce you to. Mary was, a, well, she was a teenager about like my granddaughters I started the sermon with when her mother threw her out of the house. A lot and a lot of conflict early teens, on the street. I don't have to tell you what happens to a cute young teenage girl on the street. She was headed for the trash heap. Ended up in jail. And there in jail, not her first time there, a chaplain it wasn't Alice Tate, but it could have been, who took an interest in her and spoke life into her. I wish I could introduce you to that, Mary. Because there's a reason for joy. She's married, doesn't have children yet. But what an incredible change that the Son of God Messiah Jesus can bring in anybody's life. Now, not everybody gets through a miracle story like this Mary did. But God brings power for transformation and hope and joy into our lives. What's the condition? Will you receive his blessing? We've got prayer teams off to the side. And I'd like to invite any of you that need a dose of hope or cleansing or maybe you just need a dose of Jesus. <laughs> Today's a good day for it, a really good day. Father, thank you for loving us the way you do. Jesus, thank you for coming to this world to share the very worst of this world so that we could have your very best through your death, resurrection, exaltation. Holy Spirit, convict us of those places we yet need to grow that we can become like Mary in our life. I praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Go change the world. Thank you for joining us for Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church here in Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net.